we've started a series called uh, The Other Side. Uh, really, we've been feeling that there is, uh, as we journey through our life, we can get stuck on one side of doing things. In our stubbornness, uh, sometimes we are naive. We don't even know that there's more that God is calling us to. And we can be like the Israelites that wandered uh, in, uh, in the desert for 40 years. We can just be wandering in our old ways when God is actually saying, hey, my son, my daughter, I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to the other side. I want you to cross over uh, into something new, into something fresh, into the more that I have for you. And so we've been journeying through that, um, and we're really feeling like it's a season of crossing over into the new and leaving behind and letting go of things that, is, that are prohibiting us from crossing into freedom. The Israelites were trapped in slavery, um, and then they were brought into freedom. Um, and there were things that they had to let go of when they went from the desert into the promised land. And that is what we are trusting God for, to say, God, help us see what those things are that we need to let go of, that I need to identify in my life and let go of so that I can cross into what you have for me um, right now in this season. And so last week, we, we started something called Who, What, and How. Um, who, What, and How. Who is Jesus? What did He do? And how did He do it? So that we can say, hey, obviously, the person that we need to look at uh, their life to um, follow and imitate is Jesus. And so we started this thing of who is Jesus. Vesey introduced that last week. And if you didn't listen to that sermon, go and catch it on our website um, and just catch up. Um, but this morning, I really want to continue that thing of just talking about who is Jesus. Um, and I really felt God gave me a specific sp uh, passage of Scripture just for this morning. On Friday night, uh, we have youth. And uh, we had a bunch of guys come in that I've seen Every week, uh, come in like almost those people that come in right at the end, uh, start of the service, kind of when we've almost started, and then they they kind of hang back towards the end, and I cornered them and I just chatted to them. I just wanted to find out who they are. I spent like 40 minutes just learning about them. You know, young guys in their 19, 20 years old, um, struggling to find work. You know the realities of this country, and just, just finding out what interests them, what are their dreams, you know, trying to just converse so that, you know, I just get to know these guys. Uh, eventually, one of them asked me about my life, and we talked about it, and Jesus started appearing out of nowhere in the conversation, which is good, natural. I didn't force it. Um, and one of the guys wanted to ask a question, but he, he was like, can I ask you a question? And then he was like, no, no, it's okay. Um, and I'm like, please ask me a question. If you've got a question about Jesus, I'm like, this is exciting. This is what I live for, you know. And uh, he's like, no, I don't know if I can ask this question because people just judge me. And, and the question was very simple. Like, he just asked, hey, Yanku, how, what is this thing about Jesus' blood covering our sins and that we don't sin no more? Um, and it, it was a simple question. But he's, he said to me, Yanku, whenever I ask that question around my family, around people that go to church, I just feel judged. Some of my family members have even asked, said to me, when I ask questions like that, you must be demon-possessed. Because there's not a freedom to just talk about who Jesus is. And uh, this morning, 
I, I was just so challenged after that conversation to say, man, like, we're all on a journey of finding out who Jesus is. Some of us are in a relationship with Him. Some of us are, don't really know who He is. Some of us know Jesus through our friends that go to church or our friends that say they're religious. But who is Jesus to you this morning? And uh, I, I had this, my wife yesterday bought, uh, baked, bought, mm. That's a big difference. <clears throat> um, she baked uh, a wonderful uh, banana bread uh, yesterday. Uh, definitely baked, okay? Baked, baked, baked. Um, this doesn't look like a spa one. You guys know, and the one's also from Food Lovers, so you guys know this is baked. Um, um, but the interesting thing about this banana bread is that as I can give this to a scientist and I can say to them, hey, what does this banana bread consist of? Like, find out as much as you can about this banana bread. And they could come back with scientific discoveries about its composition, maybe how old it is, you know, using some dating uh, equation or, you know, whatever it is. But they would be able to tell me a lot about this banana bread from a scientific point of view. But one thing they would never be able to tell me is why. Why was it baked? They could make theories, write theses, study for years on end to come up with some theory of why it was baked or uh, who baked it. But only, there's only one person that knows why and knows who, and that's Cassandra. She knows why she baked it. And I, I really feel like we need to look at the Creator and ask Him, Jesus, who are you? Not ourselves. Who do I think Jesus is? That's not a good question. We need to say, Jesus, the, cre the creator of this planet, of this world, who are you? Why? Only he knows that answer. And that's where we need to run to when we've got these questions. And so this morning, um, I want to take you guys on a journey through uh, John 7. So if you can quickly turn with me to John 7, um, and we're going to just look at uh, a small chunk of uh, Scripture from verse 40. So if you can go to uh, John 7, verse 40, and we're going to read that last bit in that uh, end of the book of, uh, end of the chapter 7. And uh, just look at who Jesus is from this passage. And uh, then I'm going to use two guys, uh, one guy called C.S. Lewis, and see what he says about Jesus, and uh, another guy called Bono, and see what he says about Jesus, and uh, then we'll take it from there. Um, many of us spend our lives wondering who Jesus is, what he's done, is, is he really what people say he is? And I think a lot of us spend our lives going from one place to another sitting on the fence, and uh, being undecisive about who Jesus is. And I pray that this morning, God, you would help us see Jesus for who He is. So in verse uh, 40 to 44, uh, we find a group of people, um, one group of people, and then in the, from verse uh, 47 to the end of the chapter, we find another group of people. And there's almost like a divide one group and another group, and their opinions and their encounters 
with Jesus and what they think. And uh, this morning, I just want us to read through that. So in verse 40, it says, Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Um, referring back to the Old Testament that they, in Deuteronomy, it said that there will be a prophet like Moses. And so the Jews are saying, hey, this is the prophet that will be like Moses. So they don't see him as Christ, they see him as a prophet. And uh, the context of this passage that we're reading um, is these people that are talking, reporting back, is uh, Roman officers. So what's happened here is that Roman officers have gone and they've just been following Jesus uh, to try and arrest him because what these Roman officers have been told by the Pharisees, the religious people, is that Jesus, uh, this guy is going out and he's uh, making, he's, he's basically saying he's bringing a new kingdom, a new way of doing things. And the Pharisees are the religious people, and they're saying that, hey, you guys need to arrest this guy because he is basically opposing uh, the Roman Empire, which was not true um, in a way, but God was, Jesus wasn't there to overthrow it. He was just there to bring a new kingdom. And so the Pharisees are saying to a group of Roman officers, saying, listen, Go and listen to Jesus, because when you hear what he has to say, you're going to want to arrest him for what he's saying and what he's doing. And so we, in verse 40, we find the Roman office coming back to the Pharisees, and they report back what they've seen. And the first thing they say is that, hey, some of these people say that he's really a prophet. He's just a prophet, uh, and that's what he's doing. And then in verse 41, it says, others say, this is the Christ. This is a long-awaited Messiah, that He is the Jewish Messiah that's come to free people. Um, and then in verse 41 to 42, others say He can't be the Messiah, uh, but some said it is the, Christ, is the Christ to come from Galilee. Has the Scriptures not said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the villages where David was? And so basically they're saying like, hey, the, the Old Testament says that Jesus was going to come from Bethlehem, uh, or the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem, and we don't, this guy comes from Galilee. Little did they know, obviously, he was born in Bethlehem, um, but he, he lived and grew up in Galilee, because that's where he's coming from. And so you've got these three different uh, opinions of uh, what, uh, who Jesus is according to the crowds. The Roman officers have come back and they're saying, some people say, He's a prophet. Some people say he's the Christ. Some people say, well, he might be the Christ, but he comes from Galilee, so he's probably not the Christ. And in verse 43 to 44, it kind of sums this up. It says, so there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, um, but, no, but no one laid hands on him. So there was this the sense that we don't really know who this guy is, but there's something about him that keeps us staying here and intrigued. We don't want to arrest him. We want to keep listening to him because the, the words he's saying intrigues us. Um, and so uh, that's the first little group of people is the crowd. And then in verse 45, um, we find the officers um, coming back. And the, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, uh, why did you not bring him? So they've come back, and this is what they're asking. Um, and the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke 
like this man. So they come back, they've listened to what the crowds are saying. They come back and the Pharisees ask them, why, why are you here empty-handed? Like, didn't we send you to go and get Jesus? The Pharisees so badly wanted to crucify Jesus because he was, he was ruining their way of life. Everything that they lived for, Jesus came. Uh, he said, guys, listen, I have come to fulfill the law. You don't need to live like that anymore. And the Pharisees hated that. And so they send the officers. The officers come back empty-handed. And they're like, why are you guys here empty-handed without Jesus? And they say, well, no one ever spoke like this man. You know, they could have said something like, hey, Pharisees, when we were out there, the crowd is big. Like, if we took that guy, things could get violent. Things could, it could start a riot. Like, we were actually scared to, 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 you know, arrest this man because the crowd will oppose us. They are following this man, but yet they say this. No one ever spoke like this man. And this verse will kind of be like the hinge between the first group of people and the second group of people that we'll read about now. And, uh... Let's read from verses 47 to 48. So firstly, uh, this is now the Pharisees responding to what the officers just said. Like, there's no one like this man and the crowds. This is what they said. And this is when the Pharisees respond. So the Pharisees now respond to this dialogue. And in verse 47, it says, The Pharisees answered them, the empty-handed officers, Have you also been deceived? Have any... Uh, of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him. And so they're saying, listen, these, this crowd is deceived. Whatever they're believing that he is the prophet or that he is the Christ, they are deceived because none of us have followed him. So clearly they are deceived. And so their first, uh, their first kind of uh, opinion is that, listen, you guys must be deceived because this is not the Messiah. And second, the crowd, uh, the crowd must be cursed. It says in verse 39, it says, but the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So they're saying, listen, this crowd is believing something uh, that this guy might be the, the Messiah. Uh, that's not what we believe. That's not what we believe our law says. Um, so you guys must be cursed if you don't understand the law. Little did they know the law is being fulfilled by this, this man called Jesus walking the earth. And then a third response is by a guy called Nicodemus, which we encountered in, in chapter 3 of John. Nicodemus was a Pharisee himself, and he was listening to Jesus' teachings, and he eventually spent time with Jesus asking him questions about being born again by believing in Jesus, um, and he was born again. And so in verse 51, it says that, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus is saying, listen, we can't just judge this guy. We need to get him in here and actually listen to what he has to say. Like we need to actually let him give us his opinion of the teachings he has. You know, let's give him time. In verse 40, 50. Two, it says, they replied, are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? See, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And so basically what they're just saying is like, Nicodemus, you're just biased because you're also 
from Galilee. Like you must be one of Jesus' disciples because the answers you're giving are so nice towards him. So we've got these two different responses uh, in a short you know, passage of Scripture about who Jesus is. We get the crowds, what they're saying, confusion, no one really knowing exactly what's going on. We have the Pharisees uh, on the other side speaking against everything. Like, these guys are so disillusioned. They are so cursed because they don't understand the law. Nicodemus, you must be biased towards Jesus. Like, nothing good can come from Jesus. Nothing good can come from Galilee. And in the middle, we find the response of the officers that no man has ever spoke like this. No man has ever spoken like that. And I, I love, I think what John is doing in this book is he is almost turning the tables when we look at the Pharisees. Like they say that she's the crowd is is cursed. They don't know what they, they're believing. Um, they're deceived. And I think, and they're biased if they look at Nicodemus, but I think that what John is doing here is he's almost turning the tables. He's saying, well, that's what you guys are saying about them, but that's actually what's going on in your heart. You're deceived. You are cursed because you are under the law. And, uh, and so the tables are turned um, and I really think that the uniqueness of who Jesus is, is revealed in this passage of Scripture. One man can come and bring such a division, such a different response from different people. Jesus is unique. And, uh, you know, in, in, Luke, in Luke 2, um, we find the birth of Jesus. Um, just Simeon uh, takes Jesus in his arms just after he's been born, and he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus has come, and when Jesus comes into any place, he divides. Either people rise with him or they fall. Either they're for him or they're against him. Like he splits. And even in our hearts sometimes we can... There's, a, there's an up, like Jesus, yes, and then, whoa, no, I, I don't think that, I, I don't actually, how did I even believe that? And the, when Jesus comes in, he penetrates. And Matthew, Jesus himself says this, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword to divide. And so this morning, I don't know what side you're on. Are you in the side of falling? Like you're actually, you, you, you know, you've been falling and as this word comes, it's even like, what, whatever, you know, whatever. I've, I've heard this before. I, this, where is the life in this? Uh, is, is this even truth? And it's almost like you're falling further away from the truth or you're rising from strength to strength. And you're like, yes, I know this. I can believe this. I'm going to walk in this. Um, and, uh, and so Jesus has come uh, to, to bring these, um, to bring, you know, division uh, in this world. And so for me, the, the one question that I had when I looked at this passage was like, what, what was Jesus saying that made the officers respond in the way they did? What, what, were, the, what were the claims 
that made them come back to the Pharisees and say, this guy speaks like no other person on this earth, like no one that has ever lived. What did Jesus say? And uh, just before that, in John 7, uh, in 30, verse 37, he says that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, uh, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Who speaks like that? If you ever hear a pastor say that, that out of, if you believe in me, <laughs> out of your heart will come living, streams of living water, leave that church right away. Like, what kind of man has claims to this, to say things like this? The, the Roman officers must have been standing there and being like, what? I don't, what does that even mean? Like, I don't understand. I want to stay here longer so that I can find out more about these things. And I think that the things that intrigued them about Jesus was not his wisdom, was not uh, the fact that, you know, he, he almost had this forcefulness of him sometimes, but then this humility too, you know. Um, he, was, he had these over-the-top claims about himself that I don't think we, we will ever hear again on earth by any man. Well, there has been some, and don't listen to them, false prophets. Um, but uh, I want to look at just quickly seven claims that Jesus made about himself. We're looking at this thing of like, Jesus, we, know, we need to know who you are so that we can follow you and live uh, knowing that who you are, we can cross into what you have for us. And so I want to just look at seven things um, and... Uh, give you guys the scriptures. I'll, I'll fly through these and not be too, uh, too long. But it's just amazing to know that this, uh, this Jesus is our King. He is our Lord if we choose to follow Him. And so the first claim that He made in front of human beings like us, just in a crowd, imagine sitting in Metopos, you're walking with this guy, maybe a couple of hundred thousand people following this man. And he starts saying this um, in John 13. He says, I'm telling you this. He's talking about Judas's betrayal before it takes place. That when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. Uh, and in the original, I think it's the Greek, it says I am. Which refers to when, when, when uh, in Exodus, Moses encountered the bush. And he said, who the burning bush, and God was talking to him. He said, who, who, who should I say sent me? And he says, sent, tell them, I am sent you. And so basically what Jesus is saying in this verse is that he's saying, believe that I am. Believe that I am. So he's basically just saying, guys, I'm sitting here with you, and I am God. And Jesus is God. What a massive, massive claim. Second thing is he claims to exist before he was born. He claims to exist before he was even born. Okay, he says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the kind of stuff that gets you crucified. Saying to uh, people that know the history of uh, their culture, um, their heritage so well, they know who Abraham was, and this man, this carpenter from Galilee sits there and he says, hey, before your forefather, you know, the great Abraham was even 
a thought I was there. <laughs> and you're like, what? You know, who are you? Who do you think you are? And, you know, that's the kind of things that Jesus said. Um, the third thing is that in his deity, in knowing that he is God, that he's supernatural, he claims to have come as a shepherd to die for his sheep. Jesus says uh, in John 10, he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he's sitting and he's talking to people and he's saying, listen, I've come as God to die for you. Like, why? You know, the questions, the the truth that Jesus uh, speaks and claims to be uh, is just amazing. Uh, The fourth thing, he claims to be the only way to God. As man, he speaks words like, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to enjoy communion with God. If you want to have a relationship with God Almighty uh, and, and spend time knowing the creator of this universe, you need Jesus. And Jesus makes this claim right here. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. And so Jesus claims to be the only way to God. Number five, he claims to be the bread and water that imparts eternal life. I am the bread of life in John 6. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. When we let go of of our, our personal maybe belief of who Jesus is, and we're like, Jesus, may you, may you break away anything that is of me. May you help me through your word believe who you say you are and what you can do in my life. There's freedom that comes. Jesus is the answer to the things that we desire in our lives. When, when we're on our own, when we don't know where to turn to, when there is an emptiness that we're fe- feeling in our life, Jesus is the answer. He is the one that can quench your thirst. We can keep running after things in our lives, but only Jesus will quench a thirst, an internal thirst that we have. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want that. I want to be in a place where, where God's joy, his hope, his peace wells up in my life, that when, when I'm sitting with young guys on a Friday night with an opportunity to bless them, even when I don't speak about Jesus, they can experience Jesus through the life that is overflowing in my life. And only Jesus can do that. Only the water that he gives me can do that. Sixth thing, he claims to be the only one who raises people from the dead at the end of history. It says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall, be, yet shall live. And Jesus can do that. Like, imagine just sitting, this guy saying, hey, don't worry if you believe in me. Even when you die, uh, you'll raise from the ground and you'll live again. And you're like, oh my word. You know? But there's just something intriguing about who Jesus is because his life is supported 
with love. And uh, there's the truth he proclaims, there's, there's his life and the truth go together. And it's just, it's so attractive. Um, the last one, he claims that we can do nothing without him. He talks about, I am the true vine and my father is the wine tree. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe this is for people that you have a relationship with Jesus. You, you're in a place where, man, you've been a part of that vine. You've been a branch. Maybe you've been a branch that bear much fruit in a season. But right now you're in a place where you feel like you're dried up. You feel like really you're trying to just produce a leaf to provide some shade, let alone talk about good fruit. Jesus is saying, come to me, because if you, apart from me, you can do nothing. In your own strength, like, God, I, I'm just going to try and be a better person today for you. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to whatever, whatever. And Jesus is saying, just abide in me. Just sit down and enjoy me. Read these truths over yourself and abide in me. And these are just seven little claims that, well, seven big claims that Jesus made about himself. Uh, and there's just the whole gospel of John still and the other three gospels. And I didn't even touch on things like Jesus saying, I can forgive your sins. You want me to heal this person? Actually, I'll do you better. I'll forgive his sins. What kind of a, that's a big claim. Jesus can forgive your sins. What about things like, you know, he's going to return to this earth in all his glory. So that's what Jesus, what we find about Jesus in the, uh, the Gospel of John. I just want to quickly read something that C.S. Lewis wrote. Maybe a lot of you guys would be familiar with uh, this text. Um, just his, his opinion of either you can believe in Jesus, that he is God, uh, and if you believe in anything else, you're a complete fool. That's what he's saying. And then we'll just listen to something Bono said, um, one of the uh, famous U2 lead singer, um, and then leave it with you. What do you say? And so C.S. Lewis, um, this is a famous quote, um, and it'll come up on the screen. It says here that I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who says the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. 
he did not intend to. There's a really good book called Mere Christianity, if you want to read something. And basically, C.S. Lewis is saying, either Jesus is God or he is a complete fool for saying the things he did. You can't have a middle ground. You can't be on the fence here. He's not just a good teacher. And then we'll listen to a fellow, C.S. Lewis's fellow Irishman, Paul David Hewson, Hewson, there we go, uh, which is otherwise known as Bono uh, for many of us. Um, probably the greatest, most famous rock band that this generation, sadly, um, doesn't even know about, I think. Um, but Bono uh, was interviewed uh, in 2004 after the Madrid bombings. There was a terrorist attack in Madrid in 2004. And a French journalist uh, sat him down and just interviewed him and kind of directed uh, the, the conversation towards religion. And he, he blamed the attack. And he said, well, isn't religion to blame for this attack? You know, and obviously it was. Uh, and uh, one, the first thing that Bob said is that it is not our own good works through the gates of heaven, basically saying that even if these guys were religious and they were doing good works in their ways, that that wasn't what was going to get them to heaven, and they don't even believe in heaven. Uh, and then the journalist replied, the replies up here, it says, such great hope is wonderful, talking about Christianity, even though it's close to lunacy, in my view. Christ has his ranks among the great world's great thinkers, but Son of God isn't that far-fetched. So the journalist is really just uh, saying, well, listen, uh, isn't that a bit crazy that you believe in Jesus? Like, maybe he was a good teacher, but God, that, that's ludicrous. And uh, I th I'm pretty sure Bono read what we just uh, read from C.S. Lewis, because his response almost mirrors it, where this guy is saying, well, he could be a good teacher, but he can't be God. And that's the very thing C.S. Lewis warned us against. And this is Bono's response. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, uh, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 just be a prophet, a prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. Uh, we've had John the Baptist eat locust and wild honey. Uh, we can handle that. But don't mention the M word. Because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes on, Bono, uh, or Jesus. Uh, and uh, just John, Bono's kind of interpretation of what Jesus was going through. No, no. Uh, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, the Romans. But actually, I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, Oh my God, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is, either, uh, with is either Christ was who he says he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. 
I mean. We're talking not uh, case level, uh, on the level of Charles Manson, who I don't know who it is, so I'm not joking here. Uh, the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. <laughs> so, John Bono is saying that, really, if you believe that Jesus is a nutcase, uh, even that he is just a great teacher, there's no way that Jesus, the result of Jesus' teaching, his life, the, what we see, us being right here, right now, Jesus is God. He's a son of God. He, is the, he was there when the world was created. He will be there when uh, we die. He will, he will come back on a cloud, and he will be in glory, and he will take his children with him. That is Jesus. Jesus is not just some guy that said a couple of cool things. He is God, and we need to trust him, and we need to believe in him. That's what he says. That's the option he gives us. Either follow me or don't. Don't stay here in the middle. Decide. Have a decision about who I am today. Don't just keep coming back wondering if I am true. Take a step of faith. Believe in me. Let go and come into the other side. For many of us, the other side is actually just believing in Christ. We've never made that step to the other side to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you are God. I believe in you. For others, that step is just saying, God, I've been stuck here. I've kind of had my own opinion of what you want for me. I am leading my life. I am calling the shots. And we need to step over into the other side and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. You are God. You know what's best for me. I think many of us are there. We're trying to lead our own life, even as a follower of Christ. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. And so this, this morning, I want to just leave you guys with, with, with what John 37 said. It said that no one uh, ever spoke like this man. And it was because he said, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Whoever comes to me, let him drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, even the devil believes that Jesus is real, <laughs> that he's God. You know, that's, that's great. You know, you can believe that God is real, but we need to follow him. You need to believe that he is what you need. He is our thirst-quenching water. He is our hunger. He, he, he brings the bread, and he, he, he gives us what we need in our hunger. He is our ever-guiding all illuminating light. He is our infinitely precious substitute. We were supposed to die. And He is the Lamb of God that came to die for you.